0: Live on State Street, across from the historic Chicago Theater and the old National Bank State Street Studio. This is ESPN Chicago. WNPPWSATHD2 Chicago. A Good Karma Brands radio station. Chicago's College Tailgate. Now back to the show with Shay and Tyler on ESPN Chicago.
1: gate here on ESPN 1000 as we are breaking down all of our great playoff matchups here. Alabama and Michigan, Texas, Washington, and the winners will move on to the College Football Championship. Shay, as we kind of dive into more of these matchups here on the Bama and Michigan side of things, we, we've talked a lot about. You know, this Michigan team has not looked the same as of late. And I think a lot of it does hinge on a very significant injury that they suffered in the Ohio State game when Zach Zinter went down. He was their top offensive lineman. He had a a solid NFL draft grade. He was going to play at the next level. And the injury has just kind of derailed what their offensive line wants to do. And has made life a lot more difficult on guys like Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards and the running game as a whole. And that, to me, is a significant thing when you look at it. And on the other side with Alabama, like I think one of the nice things about this playoff is that for the most part among the four teams, it's pretty healthy. But the one team that is suffer- or dealing with some injuries is this Michigan team with that, that injury that we've got going right now with Zinter on the Michigan offensive line.
2: Yeah, it just I don't want to get into the vacuum guy too much, but I think Michigan is dealing with a little bit right now in that like you've brought up before the correct play rate, like the, the metric that yeah. measures when you're in the right call. Michigan was far and away the best in the country when they had stallions. Post stallions, they fell right back to average or like among the worst in the country <laughs> yeah. at being in the correct play. Uh, Sheryl Moore overall has done a great job, but I think then you go to the Iowa game, and you've had all of this time. You get Harbaugh back. You have an opportunity against a bad Iowa team to go out and kind of flex in the Big Ten title game, and we saw what is statistically their worst offensive performance since the 2020 COVID season, a year where they went 2-4. and And I think a big part of that is, look, the offensive line, hasn't been what it was a year ago. They lost their center to the draft, and I think that's a huge piece that didn't get talked about a ton. Mm -hmm. Both tackles blow. They could not uh, pass protect all season. Excuse me. And then you factor in the Zach Zinner injury and having to kind of piecemeal the interior of this offensive line with guys who really shouldn't be playing this year almost. And you, you just look at What happened against Iowa and the inability to run the ball, which has been a problem all season, and I know I say that, and I'm sure people are like, inability to run the ball. They ran it 70 times when they beat Penn State. And yes, but did they run it 70 times and score 50? No. Like, it didn't result in points. You just shortened the game. And Penn State all season was totally inept offensively when they played good teams. Then you have Bama on the other side, and I think Bama is very similar to Penn State. It's not as good of a defense, but it's a similarly built defense in that their corners are Velcro. They're going to stick to your receivers. They can't cover the slot, and they can't cover tight ends very well, so that's kind of where Michigan's going to want to make its money. But if you want to get into dropbacks with those two tackles who can't pass protect, you've got two elite edge rushers coming off the ball for Bama who will get home. So I think this is going to be a really interesting game. Michigan's going to want to game plan it a lot like they did with Penn State. Run the ball a ton. Get the quarterback in the shotgun. Zone reads. Let's run J.J. McCarthy. And if he has to throw the ball more than 20 times, Tyler, I think they lose.
0: Yeah,
1: I I don't see Michigan putting J.J. in a situation where he has to throw the ball 25-plus times, though. And... I I always will in this matchup Hark back to the turnovers And Bama only turned the ball over Ten times this year Ten Like You you look at that Penn State game One of the closest games that we've seen Michigan play this year Penn State is the number number two in the country In turnovers uh, With six And Bama is ninth with ten And I think that this Bama team just has a significantly better offense, and they're going to find ways to score points unlike Penn State did earlier in the season.
2: The one thing to say about turnovers, though, nobody protects the ball better than Michigan. And a part of and that that's is fair. they don't put the quarterback in a position to turn the ball over, but they, dude, they, they just simply don't turn the ball over at all. They've lost seven turnovers all season. That's yeah. it. And, and Two fumbles lost. Five picks and three of those picks came in Week Three against Bowling Green for JJ McCarthy. Mm -hmm. You could throw that game out if you want to. Yeah, like they just don't put him in position to turn the ball over, and that's a huge part of why they've won games because they'll shorten the clock, they'll get the first downs on like three yard average carries, they'll go for it in fourth and short situations. So I just, I think if this has to rest on the arm of JJ McCarthy, they're in trouble if they can play defense and protect the ball they'll probably end up winning.
1: Right. Well, I look at the protect the ball. I think the more important thing for Michigan is can you can you move the ball a little bit? Can you run the football in this game? We're going to need to see JJ make a couple of big throws like he did against Ohio State. Like we haven't seen a lot of flashes from JJ McCarthy, but that game against Ohio State, he made some big time throws. The the one that he threads into the end zone to to Roman Wilson, like that is a big time throw. When, when you do stuff like that, he's going to have to do probably like two or three of those throws against Bama if the running game's running well. Then you're looking at a, a real chance at, at Michigan potentially winning this game by, by double digits if J.J. can play like that, if he plays like he did against Ohio State. But this, this Bama team, like they're going to bring a pass rush at you, and I don't know how this offensive line is going to hold up. Because we have seen the offense just – it hasn't looked the same. And you know this team is not going to turn the ball over on the other side in Alabama. You're not going to be able to run away with these five- and six-yard touchdown drives anymore. You're going to need the 70, 75, 80-yard touchdown drive if you're, out, if you're Michigan.
2: What's the final score in this game? Like, is this a race to 17?
1: I was going to say we- – this reminds me of what we saw earlier in the year with Ohio State and Notre Dame. I think we could be looking at a 17, 14, a a 20 to 13, a 20 to 17 type game.
2: Like when you look at the I think it's so interesting, and we'll get to Texas and Washington again, but like when you look at the two spreads and the totals in each of these games, you see Texas, four and a half point favorite, total in the sixties that's a college football game yeah and then you look at michigan bama and you've got michigan one and a half point favorite and a total at 44 that's an nfl game right and i think that's where you're dead on we're gonna see this look a lot like ohio state notre dame ohio state notre dame looked like an nfl game right it was two extremely high level defenses Operating at the peak of their powers, and the offense has struggled all game. And it just comes down to who can make the big plays. When it was Ohio State and Notre Dame, it was Kyle McCord leading his team down the field with a minute to go and getting the touchdown that they needed. Who's going to be that player in this game? Like Jalen Milroe, look, I know people want to look at the Auburn game and go, they were fourth and 31 away from losing to a bad Auburn team, but it's still a moment where. Milrow like made the throw it happened and I just feel like JJ McCarthy it's never Michigan driving at the end of a game to win it's always Michigan salting away the clock so can they build that lead and then have that opportunity where they just shorten the fourth quarter so much that Bama never gets a chance to get the ball
1: right and you bring up that can your defense make a play for you too because we saw the defense make a play in that Ohio State game when they get the interception on Kyle McCord to close things out. Like, this Michigan defense, I'm not taking anything away from them because they have been fantastic this year with all like all these performances down the stretch. You can say what you want about Iowa. Shutting out a team is impressive, all right? Um, the way that you contained Ohio State for a good portion of that game. Um, you had some tough road tests against Penn State and Maryland, like, this defense performed all year long. For the longest time, we were saying how they had not allowed more than two scoring drives in a game, yeah. up until Purdue well, in in week what was that? Week uh, nine when they finally allowed a,
2: a, a third scoring drive. And again, this is why I'm calling it the throw out the data game because yeah. if you're looking at the early season data for Alabama, they didn't even have an identity offensively until about week seven. And if you look at Michigan and go, well, they did no more than two scoring drives, and like they didn't allow a team to get to 250 yards and all this stuff. Dude, they played kids in wheelchairs. Like They played the worst Big Ten ever and a non-conference schedule that nobody cares about. So you kind of got to throw out the first nine weeks for Michigan and just look at what happened the last four. Penn State on. Mm-hmm. And you got to just, with, with Alabama... Look at who they turned into once they discovered who they wanted to be offensively. Those are the two teams that you're seeing Monday afternoon at the Rose Bowl. It's not the Michigan team that was flatlining uh, babies. And it's not the Bama team that couldn't score against USF. These are two kind of new teams that discovered really who they actually are. And I think it's funny because, Tyler, like, tell me if you disagree They're going in opposite directions. Like, early in the year, it was Michigan's flatlining everyone, and then they play real teams, and suddenly we go, ooh, there are real concerns on this offense. Certainly at the offensive line, the running game's not great. They have no perimeter weapons. And Bama early in the year was like, the offensive line's horrible. The quarterback's horrible. He got benched against South Florida. They could have lost that game if not for a monsoon. Like, you just... Go through all of these things, but then at the end of the season, you look at Bama and go, their quarterback, if he played this way, would have won the Heisman. The offensive line with J.C. Latham is playing a lot better. Defensively, the corners have been outstanding, and they have great pressure up from the edges. So I think that these two teams, like the narratives have kind of flipped. Yeah, I I agree
1: with you there. And you look at the weapons that Bama has – Listen. No one is. They don't have the first round guys on their team, but they've got solid pieces that are just good enough and fit within the confines of this offense. And those guys do enough to help this team win games. Like that was a hell of a throw by by Jalen Milrow on the the fourth and thirty one that you alluded to against Auburn. It's also a hell of a catch too by Isaiah Bond yeah. in the end zone as well. Like, and there's enough to to win with on this Alabama team.
2: I've given this Bama team a lot of flack, especially on the offensive side, because and I still believe this. Like Jermaine Burton's not Julio Jones. Isaiah Bond's not Calvin Ridley. They don't have the talent that they've had on the perimeter in the past. There there's no you know, whoever you want to do, Devontae Smith, that player isn't on this team. And the running game like, At any they don't, position. Right. The running game, they don't have a, a Mark Ingram back there. There's no Derrick Henry. It's it's kind of it's incredible because it feels a bit like zombie Bama. They're not as talented as they have been in the past, but Nick Saban is doing one of his finest coaching jobs and getting the most out of these kids. Like Jermaine Burton, I can't speak highly enough about because despite the fact he's not Devontae Smith, he's not going to have a 1,000-yard season, he's been huge in big moments, that Texas A&M game. And I, like people, if you didn't watch it, Texas A&M, you might think sucked. They did. But that was a tough spot. Bama going on the road. Kyle Field sold out loud against a really good A&M defense. And it was just play after play. Jermaine Burton coming up with a catch and a first down. Yeah, they, they have
1: found ways to win. And it's some of the situational football. And a lot of that stuff, I think you tip your hat to Nick Saban, you tip your hat to Jalen Milrow, like they have delivered in the biggest moments for this team. That we effectively declared dead after Week Two when they lost against uh, against Texas. Like it felt like we were trending that way. It was a sleepy game against uh, South Florida the week after, and you brought up the monsoon. If there's no lightning delay in that game, South Florida probably wins that game. And South yeah. Florida was atrocious this year. Um, and then you just kind of go through the rest of their schedule. They found ways to kind of grind out some of these games. There were a lot of times with this Alabama team, they were losing at the half, and they just made adjustments and found ways to win in the second half. Like, that Ole Miss game, what was it, 10-7 at the half? And then yep. they shut out Ole Miss in the second half, outscored them 17 nothing. Like, they found ways to overcome some of their first-half adversity. They... They're a very self-aware team, I think is the best way to put it. They know, and Nick Saban knows, he doesn't have these all-American type of receivers. He's not going to win that way with this team, but he's finding other ways to win. He's getting his quarterback involved, using his legs, and Jalen Milrose put together a fantastic season as a result of that. He knows the, the, the self-awareness of this Alabama team is why they have a chance to win a national championship this year.
2: Right. And like you, I remember doing the recap pod where I basically dropped the rose on the casket of Alabama and of Clemson because it just, they looked like two programs that were shadows of themselves that had been stubborn, that had refused to go into the transfer portal, didn't embrace NIL the way that they needed to. And it felt like both of them were a cooked product. And I feel like Clemson, obviously more dead, but on the rise the second half of the season with the Dabo. If Clemson were a stock, I'd buy it. Like, Bama, basically the undertaker, rising up out of the coffin and making it to the college football playoff, beating Georgia. But you're right. Like, you think about a lot of those games. We weren't wrong to say that they felt dead. They benched their quarterback against USF after the Texas loss, a loss in Tuscaloosa that was – basically unprecedented in the Saban era. And then you look at the Arkansas game, surviving K.J. Jefferson, the first half against Ole Miss, the the game against Auburn, and it's all these points in time where you go, this just isn't vintage Bama, yet here they are. So why am I going to st- continue to doubt them now? Right. It's like they're here still. It, it feels, Tyler, it almost feels like the – the last season that the Patriots and Tom Brady won a Super Bowl where all year it was talk like the offense is terrible. They don't have good skill players. The defense, it's good, but it's not great. And then it's, well, they got to go on the road to Arrowhead, and they win, and then they're in the Super Bowl. And you just go, why did we ever doubt this? Yeah, right. And I think the the perfect moment for
1: them is – Not just the Auburn game, but the Georgia game, too. Remember, before this game, Georgia was a definitive number one over Michigan. Like We had finally hit the flip point on the Georgia season where it was like, all right, they're not just beating up and surviving past bad teams. Right? They are legitimately the number one team and steamrolling the good competition on their schedule. And then you see Bama go out, beat Georgia, and... I know it was a three point game. I'm not gonna say it didn't feel like a three point game because it felt like a three point game, I would say, but Bama was in control of that no, game. Bama that's controlled the thing. Like,
2: that game. Watching that game, Bama was asserting themselves. That mm-hmm. was like that was the first time all season that I watched Bama and I was like, oh bleep. Like they're yeah. they're good. Like despite the fact that I still believe they're not as talented. Saban has done an unbelievable job, and they play like they're his talent.
1: All right, we will do all of our picks and stuff as well. We'll get to some of that later on, but let's segue over to Texas and Washington. This is going to be a completely opposite game here. We're going to talk about fireworks coming up next. Texas-Washington, that preview's coming up in a couple minutes here on ESPN 1000.
0: Chicago's college tailgate returns in a flash on ESPN Chicago. Now back to the show, Chicago's College Tailgate has it all with Shay and Tyler on ESPN Chicago.
1: Chicago's College Tailgate, brought to you by our friends over at Twin Peaks. If you miss anything from the show, download the ESPN Chicago app, check out the podcasts or wherever you get your podcast, you'll get all of our great shows here on ESPN 1000. You can take the shows on the go with you live as well. Just dial up the ESPN Chicago app for all of our content here on ESPN 1000. All right, let's get into this Texas and Washington game, Shay, because this is The polar opposite of the preview that we just gave you between Alabama and Michigan. This is going to be high-flying. This may be first one to 40 wins as opposed to first one to 17 wins. The total in this game is 62.5. But I said yesterday to to Tom Waddle and Connor McKnight, don't be surprised if this touches the 80s because that's what we're working with with the offenses in this game.
2: Yeah, it's two quarterbacks who throw incredible deep balls, who have a lot of help at wide receiver. Like you think about the trio, for Washington, Roma Dunze, Jalen Polk, and Jalen McMillan, and you think about the guys on Texas like Xavier Worthy and Quinn Ewer's ability throwing the ball deep, he's become, it's it's kind of insane. Like Last year, he was touted as this incredible prospect, but when it hit the field, you go, this is a guy who can't complete a pass. He's just throwing picks, hopelessly inaccurate, and then this year, he's become this kind of incredible quarterback and it might vault him into being once again a first round pick in the draft
1: right he's got a lot riding on on these last couple of games and one of the interesting twists too in this game is Malik Murphy their backup quarterback who actually ended up starting two games for this team has already transferred out of the program before the game he had talked with with Sark about it and Sark said you're welcome to stay through the bowl game uh, but ultimately, Malik Murphy just wanted to get in the portal, find a new home. He's already done that at Duke now. And the fact that you're rolling now with Arch Manning as your backup quarterback, yes, the nephew of Peyton and Eli Manning, is your backup quarterback in this game with far less experience than Malik Murphy. If something were to happen to Quinn Ewers, and this this is a, a Washington defensive line that can get to the quarterback. They're not a great defense, but they can get to the quarterback. If something were to happen to Quinn Ewers in this game it's crazy to think but like I just don't know if Arch Manning is ready for this to be his real first time in the spotlight
2: yeah it's, it, it the, at least it's a softer defense that he would get to mm-hmm. work against obviously not wishing injury on Quinn Ewers but like how badly are you hoping to see Arch Manning in this game it would be something <laughs> it would be something whether it's this game or
1: can you imagine if if something happened to yours in this game and Arch has to play the championship, like what kind of theater would that be that we would be looking at some like all time. If it was Bama, Texas for the national championship and Arch Manning is the quarterback on one of those teams. Like, are you kidding me?
2: What ratings would that do? I mean, the ratings are going to be great regardless, (laughs) but the, the ability to market a Manning going against Alabama, like, the SEC rival of the two brothers at Ole Miss and Tennessee, and you go against Alabama with a Manning on Texas in the national championship. It would be incredible. You'd have that to do a Manning incredible cast, right? Television. You would have to do one. Oh, and it's on ESPN, <laughs> so they can. And it's a Monday night, yeah. so they get like, dude, You've been it would Mondays. be unbelievable.
1: That's one where I think, like, I haven't watched the Manning cast in like three years.
2: That's one I think I would, I would at least TV to it. I think I might make it the primary. Like, I, like if Arch Manning's on the field and they have a Manning cast, yeah. I'm watching the Manning. Cast. I think that now, would be do me fascinating. Guest free Manning cast. Yeah, I don't need yes. a Peyton mm-hmm. and Eli talking to some stand up comedian. Yeah. Well, Arch Manning's on the field right. for Texas in a national championship game. Yes. Just the two of them talk ball. That's yes. It.
1: And get them in the same room together, too, for this. I mean, uh, just y- you have to do that. Although, like, they'll probably be at the game. You'd have to get Cooper, too. You'd yeah, have to you get would. Cooper yeah, on. That, You'd have to get Archie. Archie on. Yeah. Like, those are your guests that you would bring on. Other members of your football family there. Um, you Listen, that's obviously something that would require something really bad to happen to Quinn Ewers, and we're not rooting for that, but it would be fascinating to see. As for Ewers, though, this is a guy who came on strong to start the season, and then, I mean, the way that his numbers don't look great at the end of the year, but that does not tell the story of who Quinn Ewers was at the end of the season. Like, he only threw for 196 yards against Texas Tech, but they put up 57 points in that game. Like, he was just slinging the ball in that game. And then the big 12 championship, his numbers are incredible, and those are pretty much through only a half. I mean, he he went 35 for 46, threw for 452 yards, and he really only played like I have a football in that game.
2: Yeah, he's been incredible. Like in, in big moments too, you go back again to the Texas-Bama game earlier this year, and I, I still say the throw that Ewers made to worthy on the touchdown Mm -hmm. I think it was 44 yards it's the best throw that I've seen from any quarterback this season that kid went to Tuscaloosa 24 38 for 350 and three touchdowns no picks a 90.9 QBR in basically the most hostile SEC environment you can find like he's been awesome this year and it feels like because of the Oklahoma loss that wasn't really on him but obviously the first half a couple of terrible turnovers but you just go he in big spots this kid has been nails and you mentioned that first half against Oklahoma State I mean he was they were bombing OSU Mm -hmm. in that game they knew the assignment like they had to put up style points and they Aced it like they just went out and absolutely dropped a nuke on Oklahoma State. They feel like they're playing as good a football as anybody. There was a point in time, Tyler, earlier this season, especially after the Bama win, where you and I felt like Texas was the best team in the country. I think they're back to being in that kind of form now, and that's where I look at this. And I, I as good as Washington is, there's a lot of stuff underlying there, and some of the advanced metrics and some of the other things that tell you they are getting lucky. Like, there is a lot of things that have gone their way. A little bit of TCU in the undefeated run. Like, I was Mm -hmm. reading something. By the metric that called TCU the luckiest team in college football a year ago, that same metric calls Washington the luckiest team in college football this year. And I always think when you get to the playoff, obviously TCU beat Michigan, but the cream rises. And I think Texas all year has been the cream of the crop. And cream rises. That may be true, but it's not like this Washington
1: team has just kind of like super lucked their way into some of these wins and, and a Pac-12 championship. Like, okay, you can you can chalk up the first win against Oregon to kicker luck, but that second win was legitimate. Like, no, of course they were the better team in that game, and it shocked both you and I. Like, I I thought Washington would hang in that game. I thought, well, what, what did the spread close at 10 in that game? I thought it would be a one-possession game at the end of it. I didn't think that they would go out and dominate that team. Like, they were dominant in that first half. Oregon makes a little bit of a push in the second half, but ultimately Washington, I mean, I and that's the thing is this Texas team has not seen an offense like this one all year long. Like, Oklahoma had a little bit of that to it, but they haven't seen anything like this. And they lost that Oklahoma game. So if you really have to get into one of these shootouts that's going to be played in the high 30s, low 40s, maybe even high 40s, I just don't know how Texas is going to do that against a team who, like, Washington isn't great defensively, but we've said it time and time again this season. They've been situationally very good. Fourth downs. Um, They've gotten some key turnovers late. Like, they've found ways to let that defense, cause there's talent on the defense. It just hasn't all like, it almost reminds me of the chargers a little bit. Like there's talent on the defense. It just hasn't all been put together yet, but they find ways to, to go out there and, and, and make plays happen in the biggest moments, especially in that fourth quarter. It is going to be a fascinating watch. If we do get into a tight game in the fourth quarter, the fourth quarter, Washington defense versus the fourth quarter
2: of Quinn Ewers. Like I, I'm intrigued yeah, to watch that. That'll be fantastic. Like, and Michael Penix in the fourth quarter oh, because yeah. you brought up the critical downs and like fourth quarter play. It feels like every time they need a critical conversion, it's Michael Penix finding one of his three wide receivers. Or also their tight end, Jack Westover, the number yeah.
1: 37 and you just see him falling backwards on his ass into a first down.
2: Like how many times have we seen that play this year too? Yeah. And there's like, there's a couple ways to look at the luck thing. Cause part of it is you go back to like the Oregon state game. And Washington's win probability, it was something like 29%, but they found a way to win. Oregon State had more first downs. They ran a bunch more plays. Mm -hmm. They outgained Washington. Washington was shut out in the second half. Yeah, they had the ball for 15 minutes longer than Washington did. But it goes back to that final drive that Washington got the football. Michael Penix found Roma Dusey on a fourth down, and that was the game. Yeah. So – Part of it is yes, they're getting lucky, but I have to give credit. You are finding ways to win games that you're not supposed to, and that is something that matters. It's very Bama esque, too. Like, we've talked about how Bama's just
1: found some ways to win, Washington's do, doing that, but they've got more talent on their team than what Alabama has offensively.
2: Yeah, 100%. Like, the three wide receivers. If you could swap receiving cores, the three wide receivers in Washington would be miles better oh, than what Bama's.
1: Alabama for. would be the number one team in the country if they had the three yeah. wide receiver, like the three wide receivers that. Washington has are cut from the Alabama cloth. Like, those are the type of players that Alabama's used to having right there. Um, exactly. And w- we've gone this whole conversation about Washington, too, without bringing up Dylan Johnson, who's had a really nice season himself, too, running incredible. the football. Transferring over from Mississippi State. He's got 1,100 yards this year. And in those moments, like, we've talked about how, like, there was that stretch after Penix took the shot to the ribs after the or, or during the Oregon game. It felt like Dylan Johnson kind of buoyed this, this team and helped them up enough during some of those tough stretches where they weren't scoring as many
2: points or where the offense or, or, and Panics just didn't look right. Dude, he had like 300 yards against USC, Dylan Johnson. Like yeah. He, he was a huge reason, and honestly, he's a huge reason why Michael Panics didn't win the highest. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, he, that'll
1: happen. Yeah, it's what happens when you've got talent on your team like that. All right. When we come back, we're going to uh these two playoff games. And also, shay has got a way to fix or at least improve the bowl season as well. All that's coming up next. This is Chicago's College Tailgate on ESPN 1000.
0: Chicago's College Tailgate returns in a flash on ESPN Chicago. Chicago's college tailgate has it all. Now back to the show with Shay and Tyler on ESPN Chicago.
1: All right, Shay, let's really quickly get our picks in ink here for the playoff games. We've got Bama and Michigan. Michigan, a one and a half point favorite in the Rose Bowl. What do you like there?
2: You know, it's, I think it's actually a really difficult game to pick. And we've spent a lot of time talking about how uninspiring Michigan's offense is to watch. But they do have certain advantages against Bama. They don't use the perimeters, so it kind of neuters Bama's corners, who are excellent. They can go to the slot with Roman Wilson. They'll hit their tight ends. But at the end of the day, I'd, Michigan cannot pass protect for J.J. McCarthy against these edge rushers. And I just feel like this is the Penn State game all over again, except this time Penn State can score. So I'm going to I'm gonna take the one and a half, and I'm going to take Bama.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. I, I look at this Bama defense, and I think it's just going to be too overwhelming for Michigan. I think you're going to see some three and outs, and then you're going to see Bama as a result of that towards the, the third and fourth quarter start to overwhelm this Michigan team and just kind of run them into the ground. I, And especially with Jalen Milrow, Milrow, like they have not seen a Jalen Milrow this year. They have not seen a true dual threat guy who can who can hurt you specifically with the legs and, and give you like a three four touchdown performance on the ground? I don't think he's going to run for three or four touchdowns, but I think he's going to be the one that in that third and fourth quarter he'll be a little bit fresher. I think they're going to lean on McClellan early on, but in that third and fourth quarter they're going to get to Milrow, and he's just going to be the fresher runner, and he's going to ultimately be too much for that Bama def- or for that Michigan defense to handle. There, all right, Texas. Washington, four-and-a-half-point favorite is Texas in this game. I think both you and I like the over in this one, the number 62-and-a-half. Yes. I don't think you're going to see many stops in this game, but Texas and Washington on the four-and-a-half and ultimately for the game.
2: Uh, I think, I'm, honestly, it's unfortunate for Washington that they have to go to the Sugar Bowl for this one because it is a much quicker trip for Texas fans <laughs> to get to uh, New Orleans than it is for Washington fans. I not that like they aren't going to show up, but I think Texas fans fill that building. And Texas, to me, like Washington's been living on a knife edge a lot this season. Even the Oregon game in the Pac-12, which was probably their most impressive win. It was legit. You think about the lead they got out to and then Oregon storming back and taking a lead of their own, mm-hmm. just not able to finish some self-inflicted wounds. Uncharacteristic three and outs. Some drops. Not the best play from Bo Nix. Like, a lot of that added up, and Washington's able to survive and win that game convincingly. I think they've just been on too much of a knife edge. And against Texas, you have to be perfect early. Sark will not look the way Oregon looked in the first quarter. Sark will have this team ready to go. I'm going to lay the four.
1: I'm going to be on the other side. I I like Washington. I've loved Washington all season long. I just think the weapons for Washington – are better than the weapons that Texas has on the other side. And you've got one quarterback who, I mean, he's going to have all day to throw. And I think that you're going to take Texas's defensive line completely out of this game. You've got the number one passing offense going up against the number 93 passing defense on the other side there. So I, I'm going to roll with Washington here. I just think their offense is going to be that much better than Texas, and it's
2: enough to win the game there. So Don't we have a... Uh Sweatshirt bet on this too? Do we? From one of our recap podcasts? The last podcast? I'll, I'll
1: I, listen, I think. You know uh, what? I'll, I'm willing to make it with you again, even if I if we didn't make it. I, I'm willing to do it. I think we have
2: another money line sweatshirt bet. All right, Texas I'm in. and Washington.
1: I'm in for that. All right, we'll we'll figure that out. We'll we'll get to those logistics there. But um, all right, getting into bowl season now. I don't know what your watching habits have been so far this bowl season, but for me, I have not voluntarily. Turn the television on to watch a single bowl. Uh,
2: The Cotton Bowl last night was the first one I watched. And uh, not great. Like, Ohio State, without their two of their top three receivers, without their starting quarterback. A very boring game. Yeah, like they were down some defensive pieces. They start Devin Brown. Devin Brown gets hurt. Immediately yeah. and it's basically a decoy for the rest of the game. They then split him out go to receiver their, the next play. I know. I'm like, what are you doing? And then you gotta go to your third string quarterback. Like we've gotten I've gotten tweets from Ohio State fans asking what is gonna happen to Ryan Day. Dude, if you care about a bowl game result, you have lost the puck. Yeah, These are not real. Yeah, but
1: in fairness, though, like if you want to talk about Ryan Day, you can point to the Michigan game and say there were a number of moments there where you tucked your tail between your legs and didn't go for it on fourth down or just you were afraid to make a mistake in a game where you probably
2: had to be the aggressor. Just like think about Florida State and Georgia, right? Like on paper and maybe 10 years ago, this would be an incredible matchup. Mm -hmm. But in 2023, you're talking about no Keyon Coleman, no Jordan Travis, no Tate Rodemaker, no Johnny Wilson. You've got over 20 guys sitting out
1: for Florida State.
2: For Florida State alone. They're not a team. They can't operate. They're nothing. And it's a 20 and a half point spread in one of the premier quote unquote bowl games this season. Dude, I think the Bulls are dead, and a lot of people look at it and go, well, the NIL and the portal are the reason why they're dead. Not really. I'll tell you the biggest reason. It's the calendar. How is it that kids are allowed to enter the transfer portal after the final week of the regular season when there's still a postseason? Dude, there's people that enter the portal midseason. Right, but like you opt out. That's a different kind mm-hmm. of deal. You opt out from the team, and typically that's when something like what happens in Michigan State, your coach gets caught uh, yanking his chain on a cell phone, and all of a sudden you got to have the team saying, we don't want to play here anymore. I get it. But, like, the transfer portal, just have it open on January 10th and close on August 27th. You can transfer whenever you want to close it, July 31st. Mm -hmm. You can transfer any time in that span. Otherwise, you're there. That's it. Like, the opt-outs, I don't know how you stop it. But the fact that Kyle McCord can transfer out of Ohio State three weeks before they play a bowl game, the bowl games are never going to be interesting.
1: Yeah, and I think the coaching movement obviously hurts a lot of that, too. Like, you're seeing all these guys, like, you don't know who's playing in the bowl games. You don't know who's coaching the bowl games. Like, bowl, bowl season has become minor league baseball. Like, the only it's preseason reason, football. It, it's... Right. Exactly. Like, it is these younger guys who are maybe the next generation of the team that are playing in these games at this point. It's a, it's a glorified spring game out there at this point. Um, you're looking for these weird gimmicks to try to bring eyeballs at this point, like the Pop Tarts bowl. Um, like, those are the things, like, it's become minor league baseball. It's what it is now, and it's what it's gonna be. Um, fortunately, though, for next year, there will be more games that matter. Because we will have the expanded playoff. Like, listen, you wouldn't have twenty guys sitting out for Florida State if this was the 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 bowl game here. Yeah, if, that was a, a playoff game. If if it was it, more, and you would see all these guys playing in these games now. But it's, uh, do you have a solution
2: for this? Like, wh- how are we going to fix this? I, Tyler, I genuinely think the way to do it is move the calendar. Like, there's just no way we can keep that's like, the only way, transfer the, before the, the bowl games. Mm-hmm. I think it's the biggest problem. Yeah, you have to delay the portal opening until after the national championship or at least until after the new year's six i think you'll still see a lot of opt-outs and probably the opt-outs i don't know how you fix but at least for the opt-outs it's mostly kids who are going to the nfl like there's nothing i'm going to be able to do about caleb williams opting out of usc's bowl game Mm -hmm. but they the transfers are insane Kyle McCord transfers three weeks before his bowl game. Malik Murphy transferring weeks before a playoff game. Yeah. Like just delay the opening of the portal until January 6th or whatever you want to do and let kids move on. And then I, I think it's ridiculous. You got kids transferring immediately after the final game in November. Right. It's, I mean, you see the portal
1: open and it's the floodgates. All of a sudden, there's 900 kids in it. And it's there's just no legislation of any of this stuff right now, and it's the one thing that college football and college sports in general just still needs to figure out. So it's sad, man. Bulls are absolutely dead. You want to craft a parlay? Yeah, let's do it. We won our last one. We did. We're we are one and zero in our last one. So let's let's do that when we come back here. This is Chicago's College Tailgate on ESPN One Thousand.
0: Shay and Tyler. Tyler, Chicago's College Tailgate returns in a flash on ESPN Chicago. Now back to the sh- sh- show. Chicago's college tailgate has it all with Shay and Tyler on ESPN Chicago.
1: All right, we won our last parlay, Shay. So the the people need one more. All right, to send us out on our Mary Bowl season. And what are our parameters here? Are we only doing games that are being played today? Or can we go No, do whatever we want. Okay, so whatever we want. Just game has to be played before we reconvene next week. By the way, we will be on next week as well. um, Getting you ready for the college football championship. So that will be a week from today. We'll be talking all things college football and championship with you. uh, A week from today, 9 to 11 a.m. right here on ESPN 1000. And also on the ESPN Chicago app download that app if you don't have it already all right so where where
2: are you leading us to start today I talked about it a little bit in our last segment because this game is not real I'm gonna go with Georgia laying 21 points against Florida State and this is Ooh. not like a, I think Georgia really cares about this game and they want to get a revenge thing From this is Florida State's missing 20 players they don't have their quarterback. They don't have their second string quarterback. They don't have either of their two top receivers. They don't have their best edge rusher. They like anywhere yeah. you look. They're an FCS they're team now. Twenty one. It sounds crazy against the fifth ranked team in the country. You go. You don't want to lay that many points in a bowl game like this. Florida State is not real. I'm laying the 21 with Georgia for the parlor. Wow.
1: All right. So Georgia and the 21. My leg that I'm going to go with here. I'm. You know what? Our pet team, Maryland, has had themselves a mighty fine season this year. So why not one more time? Maryland plus the four and a half against Auburn in the Music City Bowl. You're going to go have to root on our Terps, all right? Because oh, you no. are in the great SEC city of Nashville, Tennessee. So you're gonna have to go. I've, I've pretty much signed you up to now go to this game. You've got about two hours to get ready and get over to the stadium. All right. I can tell you
2: confidently, I am not going to this game. <laughs> all right, whatever. I'm, I'm not do I may. I may not even watch it. But now I have to care about it, thanks to you. Uh, Jack
1: McGrath, our producer today. Jack, what do you like? Let's do it one more time, guys. The Iowa under versus Tennessee, Woo! thirty-five. That's and what a I like half. to hear. Let's hit it. What, the number's 35 and a half 35 and a half yeah 35 and a half all right so one last ride on the Iowa under I love it let's do it so we've got Georgia minus the 21 Maryland plus four and a half and Iowa
2: and the under in this one
1: so that's those are the three I, legs we're rolling with here today
2: I who's playing at quarterback for Maryland is it Talia I'd guess so right like I don't know if he's sitting out. I don't know really? what it what? is. I don't think he
1: he I don't think is good enough to sit out, but a lot of these guys aren't good enough to sit out and they still sit out. Let's see. Uh, right. no like no, no Talia Tungavailoa for the Maryland Terps today.
2: Good. I'm glad we're on that <laughs> well, who's going for Auburn? Is Peyton Thorne in?
1: Let's see. Let's let's do a little exercising of the Google on Peyton Thorne. Peyton Thorne <laughs> um I don't know, but I am seeing this from alabama.com. Auburn football dealing with a run of sickness ahead of the Music City Bowl.
2: Uh-oh. All right. That might be good. All right. This is, this is such a great exercise <laughs> in how stupid the bowls are. <laughs> like, I'm now scrolling through a USA Today article. All the opt-outs for Auburn football. Uh, two corners out. A defensive lineman. That's it. So, Peyton Thorne, I think, is going to play. Yeah. As long as he's not sick.
1: So... All right, um, the Pop-Tart Bowl brought a lot of intrigue. It is, it is one of the, the greatest best. things I've seen this season because not only was it executed, but they played so far into the bit that it was, it was art on television, the, w- the way that everything happened. First of all, you've got an edible mascot, right? Which is the, the best possible thing that you could have. I mean, we've seen all the gimmicks before, right? The Duke's Mayo Bowl, the Potato Bowl, the Cheez-It Bowl, and, like, the Gatorade Bass. How about we take a bite out of the mascot at the end of the game here? And the game was so secondary with everything in it that you didn't even think about the fact that... like, I, To be honest, I couldn't even tell you who played in the game, all right? I've just seen okay. all the memes from the game of the the Pop-Tart rising out of the toaster. It was great. It was fantastic. It's everything that the sport
2: is. It was Kansas State and NC State, but nobody will remember it because the Pop-Tart absolutely stole the show. I will never get the vision of the Pop-Tart rising up out of the toaster at midfield Mm -hmm. and then fireworks and pyrotechnics blasting off of the corners of the toaster while the Pop-Tart's dancing on top of it. Then the Pop Tarts running around on the field dancing. People are licking the Pop Tart. Like it was It was something out of a fever dream, and I loved every second of it. And I love
1: too like all the videos on Twitter of Creed being overlaid to the the Pop-Tart rising out of the toaster. The best. It's everything that's great about
2: the sport. That is the best bowl that has been played. It's the only bowl anybody should have cared about because they just did such an excellent job buying into the absurdity of it. If this is what bowl season is going to be, and it's just dead in terms of the football, let's get as crazy as possible with the partnerships and just do stuff like this. Yeah. Cause like, this was at least fun. You know what?
1: I, I mentioned how it's like, it's become minor league baseball, the bowl season. Why don't we just make it Savannah Bananas, right? Uh, yes. Like, that's what I want to see during this bowl season because
2: none of it matters. Have them out there, the players. Have them out there in togas and, like, dancing. <laughs> uh, the offensive line is dancing before a snap. That would make it fun. <laughs> that's Yeah. Just basically turn it into Maction.
1: We already get this <laughs> for, like, six weeks a year. Just turn it into Maction. Let's Why do it. Why not? All right. That's going to do it for us here today on Chicago's College Tailgate. We will be back a week from today, 9 to 11 a.m., getting you ready for the national championship game. Cannot wait for all of that. Enjoy the games, and Happy New Year to all. Thank you so much for listening to us on ESPN 1000 and all of our shows on ESPN 1000. It's been a great 2023, and we'll talk to you in 2024 here on Chicago's College Tailgate. Thanks to our sponsors, Twin Peaks, as well. We'll talk to you next week and preview the national championship.
0: Chicago's College Tailgate. Gate returns in a flash on ESPN Chicago.